You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Joseph. You guys can be seated. If you have your Bible this morning, you can go ahead and open it to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 will be in verses 7 through 14. Ephesians 5. Verses 7 through 14. And I'll begin reading from verse 7. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Therefore do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, what a great, great privilege it is to be here this morning. I thank you for each one that's here. And Father, I pray that our time in the word together this morning would be fruitful. Father, and in order for it to be fruitful or to have any sort of lasting meaning or effect, Lord, you you have to do what only you can do. And and so, Lord, we acknowledge that we need your help. I need your help. Those that can hear my voice need your help this morning. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us through the power of your Spirit as your word is proclaimed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, of course, we're continuing our journey through the book of of Ephesians, and this is where we find ourselves this morning. Um, I do want to remind you of a couple of themes that we've seen, or a theme that we've seen the last couple of weeks that will continue, and it really is going to continue throughout this letter. But I've, I've mentioned to you the last few weeks about uh, the, the gospel patterns, um, particularly as we saw in chapter 5, verse 1, that we are already dearly loved children. So because of that reality, Um, There's a command that follows that. Now be imitators of God. In verse 2 of chapter 5, we saw that we are called to, and I'm paraphrasing, to live and to love as Christ has loved. But, But again, that is only because of and flows out of the reality that Jesus Christ has first loved us. Well, this morning we're going to see that exact same pattern show itself in a little bit different way. You might have noticed the language in this section has a theme of light and darkness. Well, light and darkness is a prominent theme throughout Scripture, and so I I created a little slide that I thought might help you. This isn't by any stretch of the imagination exhaustive when it comes to light and darkness, but these are three general truths that we see in Scripture about light and three general truths we see in Scripture about darkness. And so we'll start with light. Light symbolizes the knowledge of 
the truth. And, and so when you see the Bible speak of light, oftentimes it's speaking of the, this, this knowledge that sort of shines into this darkness that we'll see when we get to the darkness side of um, a people, an individual, or a group, or a context, society, whatever it is, that, that is ignorant to this spiritual knowledge. We also see light symbolized in Scripture, the holiness of God. In fact, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Don't, don't you just love the simplicity of the light-darkness theme? If there's light, there can't be what? Darkness. Third, Jesus Himself, John chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Again, not exhaustive but three primary ways that we should see and understand what the Bible means, particularly in this context when it's speaking of light. Now to the darkness side. Darkness symbolizes Satan's evil domain. Satan, under God's providence and under God's control and sovereignty and decree, has some power on this earth. We saw it manifest itself in the heart-wrenching situation in South Texas this past week. And, and brothers and sisters, that's just one place that was exposed, that, that, that we actually saw it for what it is. It shows itself in a, a multitude of other ways that nobody ever really hears as much about. But, but darkness symbolizes Satan's evil domain. It also symbolizes in Scripture sinful deeds. And so sinful deeds are those deeds or those acts or those works that are committed by humans. Some who are not born again, who have not believed in Jesus Christ. But the truth is, as we obviously see this morning, and we'll kind of walk through, is that even those who have trusted Jesus Christ still at times participate in these deeds or acts of darkness. And as I mentioned earlier, another common way the Bible speaks of darkness is spiritual ignorance. And, and ignorance, you, you may not be super amped about that word but that's actually what it is like it, it's a it's a, a blindness if you will and ignorance is when, when Paul's talking to the church at Corinth when he says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing that's just another way to say um, that they're ignorant they're they're blind their minds and their hearts are darkened to the truth of Jesus Christ and so that might help us kind of walk through this because what we're going to see this morning is that we have to be children of the light before we can walk in the light. Let me go back to how I started with the gospel patterns. We have to understand that we're already children in order to imitate the Father. Well, the way we see that gospel pattern flesh itself out this morning is that we're going to be commanded. The imperative, the command is for us to walk in the light. And again, if we think if we think that somehow, in and of ourselves, that we're supposed to come out of this darkness and create, that's, that's a key word, a key word in understanding what the Bible means when it talks about light, and create light in our minds, in our hearts, or, or in anybody else's for that matter, then we're going to grow very, very, very frustrated. And, and again, I've tried to be clear, like it's a misunderstanding of what salvation is. It's a misunderstanding of the gospel. So as we're going to unpack this theme and, and idea and command of walking in the light, we have to first understand that we are in the light. Notice what Paul says. Look down with me at verse 7. 
He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. Them is the world, okay? He's written this to believers. Them, it's them that are outside of the grace of God, the world here. And he doesn't want us to partner with them. If you remember at the end of verse 5 and the end of verse 6, them, those who have not trusted Christ, they have no inheritance in the Lord. Those who persist in these deeds of darkness have this to look forward to. And I don't say this jokingly, but they have, according to verse 6, the wrath of God that will come upon the sons of disobedience. So he says in verse 7, therefore, because of that, don't partner with them. Don't lock arms with the world, essentially. But look at verse 8. Here's where we see the theme. For at one time, you were darkness. Now, he, he doesn't use a preposition there. He doesn't say you were in darkness. Like, you, like this was your identity. Like, it's, it's who, like, again, we tend to think of things like we kind of come in and out of these things. No, no, no. Like, so at one time, if, if you are a Christian, this is true. At one time, you were darkness. You had no way out. It was, it was your nature. It was like darkness is, is the max that our human ability can produce. Can't find our way out. It's dark. He says, at one time you were darkness. But watch this. But now, great conjunction. We've seen this throughout Ephesians. But now you, what? Are light in the Lord. And so there's this transformation that's happened. Again, we see the indicative or the fact or something that's true, a status. And then what follows that is the imperative or the command at the end of verse 8. Like because of that, then walk as children of the light. So, so that's the command of Ephesians 5 in this section is that because we were once darkness, now we are light by the grace of God. We walk in darkness that light. In verse 9, there's a parenthetical statement, and, and he, he kind of unpacks it a little bit for us, helps us understand what he means. He says, for the fruit of light, and, and so if you're going, okay, I understand I was once darkness, now I'm light, and I'm walk in this light, like what does that look like? What does that mean? If, if, you, if you're that pragmatic and you think that way, evidently the Ephesians did, some of them, or at least Paul did, because he tells us, he says, for the fruit, like what's produced from people who are children of light, is found in all that is good and right and true. And so these three things could be broken down in this way. He, he describes in three ways what it means to walk in the light. First is this, that we are to shine goodness. Now, now goodness is a broad term for behavior that benefits others. There should be a slide for that, Zach. Goodness is a broad term for behavior that benefits other people. And so what this term widely means in the New Testament is this mindset of considering the well-being and the good of other people at least as much as you do yourself. There are a few relationships God's given us kindly and in His grace to help us do that. Or they should at least. Marriage, parenting, 
These are relationships that the Lord has given us to, to, to help us be sanctified and molded into. So the first place that we shine this goodness, if you're thinking about what it means to walk in the light, it's in the home. Like it's with the people that you're closest to. Again, like don't expect to get very far with your family if you shine goodness to everyone else. But inside the home, with the people that are closest to you, they don't see it. So, so it's not really... Uh, you know, I, I know we kind of joke about it. Hey, I get home and I'm kind of out of grace, right? I'm kind of out of goodness, like my tank's low. Well, that, that, that needs to s- switch. We need to be as intentional and as serious about shining goodness in our home because this word means a genuine concern about the well-being of other people. Second, shine righteousness. When, when, when he says... The fruit of light is found in all that is good. Next is and right. And so we are to shine this rightness, or the biblical word would be righteousness. This is twofold. There are two aspects to this fruit. First, it has to do with our relationship with the Lord. Jot down Romans chapter 4, verse 5. I don't have time to unpack that, but that will help you. you. What you'll see there is that in the gospel, there is a righteousness that is freely given to us from Christ. He even says in Romans 4, 5, and in that, in that surrounding area, to him who does not work, basically looking at the works-based person, the person out there that is uber-religious and super excited about their ability to, to walk in the light and to do good things, he's saying, hey, essentially, you can never, ever produce righteousness on your own. Ever. In fact, Isaiah made it clear. They said, our righteousness is that of filthy rags, which you go look that up and see what he's talking about. He means it. Like like we in and ourselves cannot produce righteousness. So part of the grace of God in the gospel is there is an exchange. We say this often, but we're going to keep saying it. (laughs) There's an exchange. Jesus took our sin and our condemnation at Calvary, at the cross, And in exchange for our sin, he gave us his righteousness. So again, when you think about um, righteousness and shining righteousness, again, we have to start, we have to think gospel pattern again. We have to start with the reality of I can't even shine righteousness without Christ's righteousness on me. Okay, So, so again, fight the flesh here to go legalistic. Fight your flesh. But also fight your flesh in going, ah, grace is out there so I can do what I want to do. Fight both extremes. All right, so shine righteousness. First aspect is through Jesus we receive the righteousness of Christ. Secondly, it has to do with how we live. It would just make sense. True believers who have received the righteousness of Christ, true believers who once were darkness, who now are light... They walk in those things. Like their desires are different. What we love, what we hope for, what we think about. I'm not saying it's perfect all the time because heaven knows it's not. But, but there's an overall shift of direction. There's a different trajectory in like what we even see our purpose being on this planet and with the people around us. So we shine Righteousness, first, because we've received Christ's righteousness. Second, because we've received Christ's righteousness. We shine it to others. Next, he says to shine truth. 
And so again, fruit of light is found in what is good, what is right, and what is true. This word truth has to do with honesty, reliability, trustworthiness, integrity, which obviously contrasts with the hypocritical, deceptive, false ways of darkness. Darkness lives for what is false. Darkness has built its entire existence around what is false. Think about that. And now, in turn, think about what the other side of that coin has to mean. If darkness has built its entire existence around what is false, then light has built and is its entire, its entire existence is around what is what? True. Do you ever just hear things in the news or read things or, or, or even, I mean, let's not talk about them, 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 maybe even in your own thoughts, and, and you just got to go, hold on, time out. That is ridiculous. Like, who's delusional here? How, how can people not see what is clearly true based on what is real? I'm not even just talking about spiritual truth. We understand what's going on with spiritual truth. There, there, there's an ignorance. There's a blindness. There's a darkness that God has to shine his light. But even when you get down to the, like in, in, the, in the day and age that we're in now, you, you hear things and you hear statements and, and like, like th there's this whole movements that are built around just something that's clearly false. How does it get traction? <laughs> How does it pass the common sense test? Well, one, it doesn't. So how do people continue to buy in and, 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 and build their lives around these camps that, that at the very foundation in the core, it's false? It's because there's a clear difference in light and darkness. There's a different trajectory. And so as believers, we shine what is true. And that is incredibly practical in our workplaces, in our homes. The Christians... We should be the ones with the greatest integrity. We should be the ones with the best work ethic. Not because we're trying to earn something, but because we're light. Not trying to be light. Remember, I'm not trying to earn light status. I am light. So look at verse 9. That, that's the parentheses. I'm sorry, verse Verse 10. Verse 10, the rest of this sentence. So let's back up. Walk as children of the light. He's got the parenthetical statement we just dealt with. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What is pleasing to the Lord? Think about that. What is pleasing to the Lord? Does the gospel pattern matter when you think about this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you're going, okay, I have to try to discern and figure out how to live and act in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Because I hear, here's the thought, I want to please the Lord. Which that's not a bad desire, but we have to define, again, thinking about the gospel pattern, like what do we mean? Can I, in and of myself, please the Lord? The answer is no. Because if we could, we would never have needed Jesus Christ. We cannot, in and of ourselves, ever, under any circumstance, on our own, please the Lord. 
Because we were darkness. We weren't in and out of darkness and light. But now we are light. So, so how do we please the Lord? First, we understand Jesus Christ was the only acceptable sacrifice and life of obedience. And he did that. This is an amen moment in our place. So we're not obsessed with pleasing the Lord in the way that I hope one day when I stand before him, I'm okay. I've sat beside the bed of many people who are about to go see him. And what has made me scratch my head over the years is the number of them that don't have confidence. They've, they ain't missed a service or an opportunity to tithe or to serve. But they, and, and I understand, like I, I've never, obviously I've never been on my deathbed. But I would hope, because I've seen it the other way too, but, but some of them, they're laying there and they just say, I, I, I hope when I see him, I hope when I see him that I'm okay. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, time out, time out, time out. Look, I know you're tired and you're weary, like, like, like I get it. But remember Jesus Christ. Remember that his work, and it's his work alone, that saves you. You're not, if, if you're going to heaven right now in a few minutes or in a few hours or in a day or two, thinking that it's going to be on your merit that you stand before him, then we need to rethink this whole thing. Like, we got to make this right. Put your faith, like all of it, all of it on Jesus Christ. So how do we please him? We trust and obey. Got three things here for you. First, we trust in Jesus. Isn't that... Isn't that simple? Brothers and sisters, I could take this same message right over here to Clubhouse and to the threes and fours. And they could go, yeah, trust in Jesus. I want to trust in Jesus. That's the gospel. That's why you see us baptize five and six-year-olds. Because it's this beautiful truth that, well, how do I please God? Well, you trust in Jesus that... He pleased God in your place. And then in the most beautiful, simplistic, pure way, a little child says, yeah, I believe in him. I trust in him. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord, the, the Father from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He'll never and has never and will never say that about me. Except through the lens of Jesus. John chapter 8, verse 29. For I always do, this is Jesus speaking, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Listen, newsflash, we can never say that. I'm not saying don't strive for it, but I'm just letting you know up front, life hack, we can't say that to the level that Jesus Christ said that. He always did the things that are pleasing to the Father. Hebrews eleven six. and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now that's talking about our faith, our trust, and the hymn here is the Lord. So where do we start? We trust Jesus. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And it's good news that he doesn't cast away anyone that seeks him. So we trust in Jesus. How do we discern what's pleasing? Got to start with Christ. Second, 
we obey his commands. And so Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. Again, that's gospel pattern. Because of mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Acceptable, that, that word can be used as pleasing. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing you may discern. You notice similar language here. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable slash pleasing and perfect? How do I please the Lord? I trust in Jesus and what goes right along with, and there's overlap, and they're supposed to be, is I obey Jesus. I obey his commands. Not to gain mercy, because of mercy, because I trust him, I obey him. Third, more overlap, but just to make it clear, this includes heart and hands. It wouldn't make sense to say, oh, I trust in Jesus, but my life to look nothing of the sort. Right? It also is equally confusing for our lives to look like we trust in Jesus, but our hearts and minds and mouths never say anything or acknowledge Him at all. Pleasing the Lord is trusting Christ, obeying Christ, and it shows itself with our hearts and with our hands. In fact, in 1 Samuel 16, 7... When David, little David, is the man for the job. And there has to be this disclaimer. Hey, don't look at his physique. Little dude. Little wiry fellow, evidently. Scrawny. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. But again, that doesn't just mean it's the heart. Like you can only say, well, well, my heart is good for so long before somebody has to go, hey, but is it? What about your hands and your feet? Like what's in your heart shows itself in what you do. So verses 11 and 12 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And, and just, I don't, I'm not going to unpack much more on that, but, but just think about the ability, how much more ability we have today to do things in secret than they did then to do things in secret. And I just mainly mean through technology. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Now let's stop there, 11 and 12. So not only do we express light or live in the light, but we are also to expose the darkness. I don't know about you, but I read this and I'm like, okay, so let me get this right. It's kind of like you want me to weed eat, but not, any, not get any grass clippings on me. Yesterday I weed eated for hours and I was covered. I even had some grass clippings embedded in my knees. Or go, hey, go clean the house, go clean the garage, and if it's like my carport, go, go clean the carport, but don't get any dust or dirt on you. That's what it feels like. Hey, walk in the light, but at the same time, expose the darkness. How do we do that? 
How do we expose darkness without having anything to do with it? Because he's already told us in verse 7, do not become partners. He's also told us in verse 11, take no part in. And so how do we do that? How do we expose darkness without having anything to do with it? 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 was helpful to me. And I want to read that before I answer that question. 2 Corinthians, a few pages, just literally, you know, depending on your font size, maybe 10, 15 pages to your left. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Paul says this to the, the, church, at, the, the church at Corinth that was wicked. Like, I mean, they, they were in a wicked, wicked, nasty culture, and they had adopted some of their ways. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Farming analogy, think of two mules in the same yoke. The, the, the idea is they're going in the same direction. They're thinking the same thing. When they're unequally yoked, you have two mules that aren't thinking the same things and aren't wanting to go in the same direction. doesn't work. So that's what he's saying. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So there's clearly to be a distinction. There's also clearly to be a way that we shine into this darkness. So what does he mean? I think in the context, he means that by our lives, primarily by our lives, by the, the verse 9, the parentheses, what's good, right, and true, and our words, secondarily, we expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness for what they are. Now, for those of you that love words like me, Words matter, but I do think it's in that order. Our lives and our action and our demeanor and our tone and our countenance and all of that has to be in place in order for people to believe and hear our words. We can have the truth and be total jerks about the truth and be ineffective. And so as we think about shining our light into a dark world, we can obviously do that without getting grass clippings on us. And part of that is in how we love the world around us, have compassion, and we're kind, and we're generous, and we show them we care. And when they know that, or all along, the intent is we know we also have to open our mouth because the gospel is a message. It's made up of words to be spoken, to be heard, to be believed. Nobody's going to get saved because you give them water. Their thirst is going to be quenched. But give them water with the full intention of pointing them to the living water who is Jesus Christ. So we've got to move on here. Verses 13 and 14 to wrap this section up. Oh. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. 
For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Little disclaimer, these two verses are really difficult and complex. There's a really good chance some of you have better insight towards them than I do. Commentaries that I use weren't terribly helpful in what exactly is going on here, so I'm just going to give you my best shot, what I think fits the context and exalts Jesus Christ and makes the most sense. It seems that the word exposed here, look at 13, but when anything is exposed, because notice the, how certain the language is. When anything is exposed, like that happens, exposure happens by the light, it becomes visible. That surely happens too. So when there's exposure, things become visible, and when things become visible, it becomes light. All right, you see what I mean? Like, so there, there is exposure there's sure visibility, and when there's visibility, there's sure light. Now go back to verse 8 and notice the similarity. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Now hold your finger at our light and look down at verse 13 or 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. All right, so here's what I think is going on here. I think that exposed here is speaking of conviction. And I mean like effective, spirit-wrought conviction because when this real conviction happens, exposure happens, follow the logic in verse 13 and 14, when this conviction or exposure happens, it becomes visible. You see. And when it becomes visible which is true of anything that becomes visible, it is light. Now, it can't mean that we go stand on the street corner screaming truths with a bullhorn or put them on every billboard in town and just for the sole fact that we're saying them and people are reading them, that they become light and everything becomes light. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't work that way. Like, like, so it can't mean that. And so I think here exposure, he's going back to who they were. When they were darkness, now they are light. There was exposure, there was conviction, things became visible, and when things became visible to you, you actually clearly saw what was dark and what was light, you became light. So when you were exposed, convicted, saw the light, if you will, go ahead, sing it, you could see and therefore became light. But watch how this un un unfolds with this logic. He says, therefore, in verse 14, middle part therefore because of this because there was conviction exposure visibility and now you are light therefore here is another way that you go out as light into a dark world and watch friends the primary way that we go out into a dark world as light he says therefore it says now we have no idea what it is here some, some say this, quote, this quotation is like a combination of a couple of Old Testament verses, very likely. Most people land in that it here, that this little quote is some sort of song, a part of a song, a verse in a song that they would sing, or a part of a creed that they would rehearse and say. But we don't know what it is, but the, but the most important thing is not actually where this came from or what it says but the most important thing is to know that this 
is a gospel call. Read it like that. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. What did we learn in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, about the spiritual condition of those who have not trusted Christ? They're spiritually what? Dead. They're dead. So as we think about being light in a dark world, we have to understand and remember the spiritual reality and condition of the people that we're dealing with. Behavior modification ain't going to cut it. Getting them to adhere to all the things that we think are right and true and good isn't salvation. The primary message of the church is not political. It's not to be far right. It's not to be far left. It's not to be moderate. The message of the church is a message that's spoken to spiritually dead people. And essentially it's wake up. Wake up. You're in darkness. You're dead. And if you don't wake up, the wrath of God awaits. But notice he says, because we've talked a lot about gospel patterns, wake up, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It, it seems that pattern's flipped, right? And so that would have the logic of us going into a graveyard right now and asking dead people to come out of the grave. Are they going to come out? Okay, no. The answer is no. They're not. If they do, I mean, at that point, it's who, whoever can run the fastest. Okay? But that's not what's happening here. He... he this, this gospel plea isn't to be understood as we're pleading for dead things to move and to act and to get up and to wake themselves up. Remember, in, again, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, actually in verse 4, after that great conjunction, we were made alive in Jesus Christ. But I also want to remind you of what Acts 22, verses 6 through 11 says. Zach, do I have that slide? Yeah. This is Paul giving his testimony to counsel to King Agrippa. This is what happened. Paul saw Christ on the road to Damascus. He says, but rise and stand upon your feet. This is Christ speaking to Paul, who was on his way to kill Christians, steeped in darkness. That's all he knew. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, whom I am sending you. Now what? listen to, to what Jesus says to Paul. This is what I'm sending you to be about, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified in me. Now, is it God who brings spiritual life? Yes. Is it God alone who saves a soul? Yes. But God always uses a means, and the means that he's chosen to use in this age, in the first century, and in this century, is, are, are, are his people who are born again, who are now light, going out and proclaiming as his instruments and vessels of mercy to a spiritually dead world, wake up so you go to 
you fill in the blank. And in my notes, it's just a blank. That child, that spouse, that sister, that brother, that neighbor, that coworker. You go to him and you say, I love you. Wake up. And look to Jesus Christ. And he will shine upon you. We all know people, right? Do we care? We all know people who are in spiritual darkness and have no way out. And the only way that God has ordained and designed for them to come to know Him is when His people open their mouths about the truth of Jesus. I came across a quote this week from Marcus Dodds. Powerful. He says, There is something wrong with the man's Christianity who is no sooner delivered from the mire himself then he despises all who are still entangled. So what does that have to do with it? I think often the attitude of the church toward them, toward the world, is just hatred. We're annoyed. We're mad. We're good with just separating ourselves from them and, and they just beeline straight to hell. I think Marcus has a point about the Christianity of a man or a woman who hates them more than he cares to love them. And primarily the way that we love them is by opening our mouth about Jesus Christ to them. Isaiah 9, 2 and 3 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of of darkness. We could all go back to Clubhouse right now. It says, what do you do with the light? You cover it. No. What's the point? You let it shine. We're commanded to let it shine. And so, believer... Let's let our light shine. And our light is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hands must match our heart and our heart must match our hands. But we are called to go and to be in this world not that, that we're already not of. You remember? We're already not of it. Jesus did that. And to shine this beautiful light. But friends, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ... I want to plead with you to lay down that rebellion and embrace Christ, the Son of God, the righteous one who died for your sins. He was raised on the third day triumphant, defeating every single enemy that has ever, that was currently or will ever come against him there is only salvation found in Jesus 
and in Jesus alone. There is only forgiveness of sins found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And my plea with you this morning is to wake up. To fix your eyes on Christ and He will shine upon you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, what a powerful section of Scripture. Father, I pray for my life and and, and for the life of those that are in this place that profess your name. Lord, that we would not only take seriously, but but then like in your grace that we would... Maybe this morning, like for the first time, or at least um, again, that we would be invigorated. Invigorated by the beautiful truth that we are light. And it's meant to shine. That gives so much more purpose and meaning to being a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a son or a daughter, an employee or an employer. Like that's our primary purpose is, is to be light. To be about what is good, right, and true. Because that's the essence of who you are. And so, Father, let us shine that light into darkness. And, Father, I pray if there's one here this morning who doesn't know you, Father, that that darkness would end today. That they would place their faith and trust in you and become your child and become light and become a citizen of an eternal land that is a dwelling with you forever. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can stand for worship. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.